You're listening to Lucid Cafe. Hi, I'm Wendy Halley. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Lucid Cafe, a podcast exploring healing, consciousness, and the complexities of being human. I hope your 2023 is off to a good start, although according to my astrologer friend Linda River Valente, who was featured in not one but two episodes last season, January is not going to have that fresh start feeling that we're probably all craving. She told me that we should really consider February as the start of the new year. If that ends up not being the case for you, it's Linda's fault. (laughs) You know, I'm kidding, right? But if you do choose to be pissed at Linda, perhaps today's episode will help you tap into your anger in a healthy way, to help you roar like a goddess. Okay, I, I just need to take a moment to acknowledge how masterful that segue was. I mean, it even surprised me. Damn, that was good. My guest, Acharya Shunya, has written a feminist manifesto rooted in classic Vedic teachings and brought to life through India's primary goddess archetypes. It's titled, Roar Like a Goddess, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful. Well, Shunya is a truth teller who facilitates authenticity, self-remembrance, and divine feminine pathways to awakening. The first female head of her spiritual lineage that traces its roots to 2,000 years ago in India, she represents the ancient Vedic tradition of India in a way that is completely authentic, yet as relevant as possible to modern sensibilities and needs. She is a highly rated motivational speaker, podcast host, workshop facilitator, and retreat leader with over 20 years of experience as a spiritual wellness, relationship, and women's empowerment coach. Her approach is all about amplifying your authenticity and empowering you to become a better version of yourself, and she uses goddess archetypes from her culture as tools for unapologetic living. Please enjoy my conversation with Acharya Shunya. Shunya, thank you so much for joining me. It's a complete pleasure. Thank you for having me, Wendy. Absolutely. So you have a new book out, Roar Like a Goddess, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful. That's a pretty amazing title. It's a pretty powerful title. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised it just came to me because I compare Roar to like claiming our authentic voice, which is reflective of our true power and what could be better than a roar yes as a leo i'm totally behind that yes (laughs) well it definitely makes a statement too it gets your attention not just the title but also the cover of the book it's beautiful the color it's totally an attention grabber this might be a strange place to start our conversation but i'm interested to know if you were born roaring like a goddess or if you had to come to that at some point in your life Oh, Wendy, I was born roaring like a goddess and I was raised like one, but I forgot for a while there when I went through an arranged marriage in India 
and I met patriarchy and and and, and I absorb some self-diminishing beliefs like all women do. I lost my roar for a while there. I started I started <laughs> squeaking. I started apologizing. I started explaining myself way more than necessary. I I it it was not to the point where maybe it was obvious to others because people tell me that I've been a powerful self-assured person all my life, but you know you know it when you're not completely in your essence, when you're not totally owning your light. And that's when I had to use some knowledge, some other divine feminine empowering knowledge through storytelling and through wisdom teachings that I had received in my family of origin from my mother, from my grandfather, who was also my guru and the guru of thousands of people in India. And I had to relearn that to roar is my birthright and to forget it happens. But now I know I forgot so I could experience the pain and write a book one day about it and then maybe talk to you, Wendy. It was all written in the stars. Right. So then what was that moment like? Because to have your voice, then to lose it, only to regain it again, that must be even more challenging than to never have it. So I'm curious, what was that moment, the moment you realized that, oh my God, I don't have my voice. What what did I do? When I started saying yes, when I should say no, when I stopped meaning my yes, because I was a very, I was a person of integrity. And I started seeing how I'm resentful, how I am feeling suffocated. You know, you start feeling like you're the climate inside you is no longer like the bright open sky and the shining sun. It felt cloudy. It felt moldy. And I started seeing that I am looking out towards what others are thinking way more than I should be. I understand there's a word in Sanskrit from my language, from my tradition called Dharma. And Dharma includes being sensitive to others, to be, to be, sympathetic and and sensitive to others needs and so there is some looking at being integrated with the whole network not just being self-absorbed and selfish in the name of being progressive but being kind and considerate and and that is fine but it does not leave you out dharma means you're breathing you're happy you're smiling because dharma includes the value of self-value and self-worth and self-esteem And it started dropping for me. And I had these silent observations where I realized that I'm abandoning myself to please a husband or or some, some role that I had to play out. And ultimately, my teaching now on a world stage is, hey, if you can't be true to yourself, you cannot even be a great mom or, or a wife or anything. And um, so those realizations, I mean, it didn't happen in an intellectual sense that what is happening to me is that I'm facing those same old demands that women worldwide feel, whether they're walking into an age marriage or a professional setup as a CEO, they're still going to meet those ceilings and those walls of expectations and limitations 
you can change the circumstance. You can't change the bottom line that women have to carry way more weight and explain way more of, of why they take certain actions than than the male gender. And so my role like a goddess is not about being the, against the male gender because I've had some great men in my life, including my father, my grandfather, and and, and so many people I know. But it's more about the women not falling victim to those expectations which are in the air we breathe. Right. So then you're in this arranged marriage and you find your roar again. And then what were the consequences of that? (laughs) Yeah, the consequences were that, well, you don't get to roar right here. And uh, and that roar allowed me to the roar is is not just a roar of is not just a no to what is happening around me, but it's also a yes to who I want to become. And the roar is also a leap of joy and an exclamation of hope in my future self and my future partner and my future life where I'm seen and I am and I can see back equality and love and empowerment. And so my role took me to another marriage and I've been married 20 plus years in a beautiful relation. I'm in a beautiful relationship. And that role led me to found more than one organization in California with internationally spread students worldwide, all learning to be empowered in different ways, um, through their health, through their wealth, through their relationships. The roar is really about stopping to dream and just start doing and start living the life that we were meant to lead all along. And our deep self knows that version. How I got that last minute, but how I got this 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 unstoppable wave or tidal wave of the roar coming through me that I leave to the divine feminine and divine mother. I was actually wondering if you were able to stay in that arranged marriage because I, I, that's one of the things I think that is difficult about changing, especially for women, is that when they do find their power, their voice again, that people that have been in their lives when they've been powerless are used to them not having a voice. And so when they find their voice, it may not go over well. That's very true. However, I was not evicted. I left. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. So your book focuses on three of the Hindu goddesses, primarily. Yeah. Yeah. These Hindu goddesses are, are, are my muse. Yeah. And you leaned on them specifically because there are many goddesses and gods in in the Hindu tradition, yeah? Yeah, they all represent the one non-dual consciousness, which is really formless. But in Hinduism, we get to have any version of that in form. That's why there are numerous gods and goddesses, because it was not sure what to leave out, who to leave out, really. So we have animals, plants, humans, and even transgender gods and goddesses to really represent that that unbounded entity or reality can possess or come through any form. 
But the chief forms that really beloved in my tradition and culture for thousands of years are Goddess Durga, the goddess of unbridled power and even righteous rage. Goddess Lakshmi, the goddess of pleasure and prosperity. And Goddess Saraswati, the goddess of wisdom and intuition. And you could call them as the chief incarnations of that ultimate undefinable, unboxable presence. And I'd heard their stories from my mother at bedtime and those bedtime stories would hardly put me to sleep. They would rouse me, kind of, and I'd dream of them. But these these are empowering stories that every, every child, every child of every gender needs to learn so they can be more safe and more empowered on this planet. And I was fortunate to receive them from my mother in a very dramatic way because she was she loved theater. And then as I grew older, my grandfather, who was my traditional guru, he unpacked their deeper wisdom, their symbolism, and explained how they those powers could be accessed through our chakras. And um, it became a very living uh, reality for me. So when I was not in a good place, in my dreams, these goddesses would come and like knock on me to say, what's happening to you? Did you fall asleep on the wheel? <laughs> what's happening? And <laughs> gradually they became, a, I, would, I would remember their story and I would learn to roar despite people wanting to suffocate it. Or despite me wanting to choke my own voice. <laughs> you know how our shadow comes in and starts wanting to please others. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then for Westerners who are maybe not as familiar with uh, the Hindu tradition, how do you invite people to, or women in particular, how do you invite women to connect with these goddesses in a way that can serve them in the way that they have served you? So I, I, have, I don't approach the goddesses from a religious perspective at all. Okay. I approach them as universal archetypes of empowered femininehood, so to say. And it's really interesting that in their stories, in their mythology, these goddesses also face some of the things women worldwide face, like sexual objectification, dismissal, because that great power is showing up in a female form being made invisible or even being uh, treated unfairly. But the goddesses don't respond with silence, which is historic, which is stoic that all women are complimented for. Mm. These goddesses don't respond with a rescuing behavior or, uh, or obliging behavior. They respond in spontaneous new ways that, you know, the book explains all those different ways. Sometimes they are generous and accommodating. Other times they are unaccommodating and fears. Sometimes they are domestic. Other times they break all molds and do their own thing as a single gal, you know, having so much power on the planet. So throughout all these goddess archetypes, I saw radical self-acceptance. I saw authority that is sourced from within rather than without or from their status of being married or single or spinster or divorcee. There was this um, radical liking of the self and a declaration of their presence. 
as they are, who they are, that really makes them a goddess. And that is why my publishers at Sounds True, which is a well-known publisher here in America, uh, and a publisher of my multiple books, this is my third book with them, was so excited about it. They're even thinking of potentially creating a comic book version for Girls Worldwide to have these stories as like, you know, almost like Superwoman. But they talk to us not just about fighting the bad guys out there, but also fighting those bad thoughts in here that lead to self-abandonment or self-trashing or self-diminishing or self-doubting beyond what's normal. When I was reading through your book, I was really taken by how complex each one is, each archetype is, and the idea of balance, right, is that they're not one dimensional. <laughs> As you were saying, it's like there's time to be permissive or apologetic, and then there's a time to be unapologetic. Yeah. I was wondering if if they can have, like in, in some traditions, there can be like a negative expression and a positive expression of the archetype. And I was wondering if that's the case with these as well. Like if there's a cautionary tales or things to be aware of. There is none. Interestingly, these goddesses are what is known in Sanskrit. My language is Sampurna, which means they represent wholeness. And Though they don't represent every aspect of the wholeness, I wanted to point out that they don't represent necessarily holiness. Wholeness is more important than holiness. I like that. And in the, yeah. And, and, and I'm not just saying it. This is maybe these are my words, but this is what I have interpreted or understood when I go back into the deeper tradition. That's why these goddesses are sexual. These goddesses are passionate. These goddesses are, they embody all their emotions, including rage, if they're violated. And so these goddesses are representing, when you study them like a scholar, like I did, uh, maybe ways for a woman to come into our wholeness. And one of the things that women universally have been chastised about is owning their anger, or least of all, expressing it. Then we become nags and hags and witches. But the goddess Durga, for example, um, shows that, hey, there'll be times when your sexual, physical, emotional, verbal boundaries are being violated. And at that time, it's dharmic. It is dharma. It's ethical to experience your anger, let it inform you of your boundary violation. But then anger is not always related to violence. Anger can be also a, a, a cold pulling away and anger can lead to detachment and anger can lead to more discernment and anger can lead to inner housekeeping and anger can lead to even physically putting up a boundary. So to just, it, they don't necessarily, they show us that anger does not always mean being brutal, wild, stupid, crazy. Anger means you're smart, you've been violated, and you feel it, and you should. Even a butterfly doesn't want to be violated. A caterpillar doesn't. Then how can we decide it? 
that the female gender and people of non-binary expansive genders um, don't get to experience their anger. It's not okay. Or people of one color get to experience the anger, but not the other colors. They're outright dangerous. These are all human-made beliefs that are floating around in patriarchy because patriarchy does not just do a number on women, but on all genders and forces us to behave in artificial ways. Whereas when you go into these goddess archetypes through role like a goddess, you go, oh gosh, I have chapters and chapters on healthy anger, conscious anger versus unconscious anger. Then what is superconscious anger? When you channel something, when you channel anger for the good of all, and I really feel, Wendy, that my book, Roar Like a Goddess, emerged from my superconscious anger. Yeah, can you talk more about that? Well, superconscious anger would be something where you're, you're upset. You know, you've noted things and you can dare to call a spade a spade. But now it's not about being vindictive against one gender or one people or one group of people. You realize that you must embody and express and talk about this anger and make changes because of this anger. And when you do that, it's going to benefit all people. The whole planet will be uplifted. The consciousness will be elevated. And I feel like I have, through my anger, which I experienced not only for myself, but for all people who are disempowered because of their uh, their sexual preference or their genitals at birth, their biology at birth, or because of various other reasons, they are being marginalized or they are being asked to take a second place on this planet. I felt angry. And uh, it went from being personal to impersonal. It went from being wanting wanting some solution just for me to wanting to uplift the beliefs of all beings. And that's why it went from being unconscious, where it was giving me heartburn, to being conscious, where I could speak for myself. At least I'm not somebody who who forgets anymore to roar with power, prosperity, pleasure, peace. And now it's coming through a super conscious anger when I write the book and all the people who have been reading advanced copies of the book are telling me that, oh, this book is a game changer. And, and, I, and I feel it too. And I feel so relieved that I allowed my super conscious anger to help me write this vulnerable but raw and fierce book at the same time. It's beautiful. So then what I was going to ask about anger, because I think that is something that, as you've pointed out, women have really struggled with and where we have not been using our voices. And then the, the consequence of not acknowledging your anger, what are your thoughts on the consequences of withholding your anger? Anger is an information system. Anger was placed into our being psyche biology as a protective mechanism. Every emotion has a place and for us to artificially only want to be joyful, only want to be peaceful, only want to be generous is to lead a skewed life. And if we don't experience an occasional spark of our anger, if we don't own it, 
we won't really take a stock of our own life. We won't took a look at like, why are we angry? Especially if you are chronically angry, we'll have to, we'll have to dig in and bury through several files of anger that are lying in our spam. We need to bring that back into our inbox and look at it. And, and as we keep looking at why we're angry, ultimately anger informs us of something we have to do, like rescue less, please less, say yes less, or mean our nose, or not break our diet, or stay on our exercise schedule. Because I have known that there are two levels of reality. There's the outer reality where people make you angry. But then there is the inner reality where you can look at, well, why do they have, when did I give them this power to make me angry? Ooh, yeah. Right? And if we kind of suppress all anger, we're going to like be bereft of all this knowledge and intuition and wisdom that could come our way. Anger is really a knock on us to do some homework and do some housekeeping. So when I'm having less angry days, I'm cruising along, Wendy. <laughs> when I experience anger, I get really like excited. I'm like, ooh, what am I being asked to look at now? And I start going inwards and try and feel my anger. And often, first, it's like, you know, you feel angry with your husband because he didn't pick up the cups and put them in the kitchen. You know, it's like something as simple, but really there's something deeper and then deeper. And I have to sit with it. And then it comes down to what do I want in my life? Yeah. Or what didn't I say? Yeah. What didn't I say? I think that's a really good indicator for those of us who are so unfamiliar with anger because we've, we've suppressed it for so long that the moment you find yourself resentful, I think that's a really good clue <laughs> to start doing some of that digging that you're suggesting, right? Yeah, it, it resentful. And even prior to uh, resentment, if I may add, Wendy, there might be before resentful, there is also, which, which has some miffed frustration in it. There's another subtle emotion that I want to talk about where you feel like you're not breathing fully. Like it's not this deep, light breath and you feel some sadness too which we often miss or we distract with television or browsing on the internet. But I want to, I want us to pay attention to these stages of anger, which begins with some sense of not okayness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which then if we skip, it goes into resentment, which then if we settle for some quick resolution to our resentment, it's going to go away. But I would rather sit with that resentment and then explore what's the real deal happening here. Yeah, that's a great point. I was also thinking about, too, in my practice as a psychotherapist, I will frequently ask what's underneath the anger, because typically what I found is that, and maybe you'll disagree, I don't know, but what I found is hurt. Absolutely. I don't disagree. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I love about the archetypes of each of these goddesses is that they are very, very human and, and relatable. They're like incredible role models 
<laughs> for us. They are. And I feel like if anybody did a patient read of the book or heard the audiobook, which is very exciting because it has all these spontaneous parts that I spoke while recording the book, I feel like they would be case, they would be like stories from real life, from women all over the world who've shared their journey with me of transformation, my own insights. I think it really gives people a very clear idea of what's what, what to look for. It's like an investment of a few hours into your life, but these goddess archetypes then become internalized as a result, and they're there to guide us. They give us options instead of simply walking this conditioned path, you know, of of overdoing it. Similarly, Saraswati gives us some discernment. This is the goddess of intuition where sometimes even when we're experiencing the hurt and then the resentment and then the full-blown rage, we could discern if this is something worthy of our attention Or are we just repeating uh, the same old pattern? Are we stuck with experiencing rage on a certain matter that we may have now outgrown? Or it's not important to us anymore. Does that sit with you, Wendy? For example, I would feel upset in my case with um, maybe maybe a, a, a relative who who is very imposing or authoritative, but insensitive and very demanding of attention. And when I was in my 20s, I would resent them. But now that I'm in my mid-50s, I don't even resent them because I'm indifferent to them now. Like they don't have any power over me. Yeah. But then that familiar anger comes up and I go, yeah, I don't have to be angry. I can just say a hi to them and then do my own thing, you know? Yeah. So you've outgrown it. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like what has happened in your evolution, if I'm understanding you correctly, yeah. is that you you have first of all paid attention to what's going on inside of you and looked at it as information rather than kind of getting caught up in it, like lost in it. I mean, well, that's where you've come to later in your life is that, oh, this is information. So if, if I have a reaction or if I have a memory about someone, oh, it's just information. It sounds like what the goddesses are inviting us to do is to exercise choice, that we we don't have to fall into those old patterns anymore, that you have a sense of freedom and authority or agency in the situation. Exactly, because, you know, these are not black and white that, oh, here's goddess Durga, and she's telling you to own your anger, and so then you go about being angry. But then you have her own, her other avatar, because they're really one goddess in many forms. There comes Ram Lakshmi and she goes, well, there may be times when you truly enjoy pleasure and gratitude. And that's okay then. And then comes along Saraswati and says, well, let's discern. Let's discern when should you be raging with frustration or anger and letting people know what you want. And when should you be in, you know, relaxed uh, restfulness? And I love this discernment part because it gives us more mature agency versus this one monochromatic woman is a powerful person and she's going to rage when she wants to, you know, kind of. Right. It, it's, it's, it's more subtle. Yeah. Yeah, which makes it not as clean cut, <laughs> which, which I think 
for uh, American culture, that's kind of what we want. We want the more clean cut version. Just give me the three steps I need to do and, <laughs> and I'll do them. But, it, but yeah. it's, it's, not that, it's not that easy, nor should it be because we are complex beings. So of course we have to, we have to get to know the complexity of ourselves and that we are, I mean, every day is gonna be a different day given what's going on and how we're feeling that day. Yeah, and and if anything we learn as we mature is that life is not black and white, but it's somewhere in the gray area. It's totally gray. Totally gray. I mean, even as even as as we must have become women from girls, you know, life, love, hate, sorrow, joy, everything was gray. And I think having these three goddesses helps us discern a more gray area of choice making versus this black and white now that you know durga go about roaring now that you know about lakshmi just get happy with the pleasure you know it doesn't no yeah but you know it's not why just the americans i think even indians and worldwide where the wherever goddess culture is known there is this tendency to make these goddesses very neat and clean uh, you know neat and clean models of a very specific behavior in India, Goddess Durga has been reduced to just raging, Lakshmi to money, and Saraswati to the scriptures. But again, it took an author like myself to say, wait, we're missing all this other information, which is in the subtle territory. And so this book is going to be a welcome to the thinking people in India too. I imagine so, absolutely. So then... I want to talk about power, since that is the, the main theme of your book. And your message is being in relationship with your power, your personal power. Do you have any thoughts on why women struggle so much with power, with allowing themselves to be powerful? I don't think it is biological, because we've, we've all met and we've been young, very young girls. Um, maybe even toddlers, and we were happily full of ourselves. <laughs> and when we were asked, who's the prettiest girl? We said me. Who's the most strongest girl? We said me. Who's, you know, we, we just had this, this belief that the sun rises in us and sets in us, but it is society. And I found, because I've been living outside India more than I have lived in India at this point of my life, I'm more of an international person now. My body is. It's moving around everywhere. And I found everywhere, universally, that Indian that Indian and non-Indian women, everyone are in their own way are being morphed and conditioned and ultimately limited by their birth. And also feminine, it's not just the female biology, but the female space, the feminine space where at the core of patriarchy is this weakness between a stronger body and a weaker body. And a female body, a queer body, a transgender body, a gender expansive body, a disabled body, an older body than a younger body, they're all considered weaker. And we are asked to take our place as the second class citizens on our planet. Mm -hmm. and, and I think somewhere we buy into it. And I see all these young women who are burning their bras, so to say, and, and trying to make an impact with changing the world. And I still feel like this sorrow 
that they have to go to all this effort. Like whether we are rebelling or whether we are compromising and, and, and accommodating beyond a point, either way, we are not in our true power, which doesn't have to spend so much time declaring it, but living it. Do you see there's a difference? Yes. Are you suggesting that it's more of a personal journey that can be expressed? It's a personal outwardly? journey. Yeah. It's a personal journey, yes. Then yeah. a posturing of power. And sometimes we may have to do that. Sometimes we may have to hold up the billboards and, and have those special signature campaigns for a law that supports women. And, and it's a posturing to those who want to oppress us. Men may be necessary, just like our dog. Our dog will snarl, though he doesn't mean to bark. Right. To give an indication that don't mess with us. We may have to do the posturing. But at the root of it, I felt like some feminine wisdom was lacking. So that we just kind of become silently, significantly powerful. Right. That's what's striking me right now as you're talking is how much more potent would it be if embracing that feminine power internally how that would translate externally would you even need a poster yeah i don't know yeah. i mean i i maybe the poster is necessary for a media experience or whatever but i'm just thinking of there's something poignant about you know when you've met someone who's super powerful like yourself there's something about just how they come across yeah they don't have to and they don't have to say me too there's no pride in me too, because there should not be a me in this process and a two. And okay, it was a movement and it's a plausible, but what if we had schools for for women and all, all genders who felt disempowered to no longer be victims? And so I wanted to, in response to your question and our line of communication, just read a paragraph from my book, if that's okay, Wendy, it's from the epilogue. Please, yeah. It's in the epilogue, and I just wrote these words, which is like right at the end, and I imagined a world where we are all empowered, and I wrote, sometimes I wonder to myself, what would happen if all the women and beings who identify with the feminine gender in this world knew about Durga's power, Lakshmi's radiance, and Saraswati's peace, and had ways to access their goddess strengths, divine protection, and grace through contemplation of these archetypes. How would this affect our collective lives, our dreams, our different gendered goddess children? Would there be more rejection, wounding, discrimination, and painful abuse of the non-dominant genders by the dominant ones? Or more compassion, good power, abiding peace, and glorious self and other acceptance? Would our children grow up on a hostile, intolerant planet or be celebrated as radiant goddess sparks? Indeed. A revolution of consciousness may occur when we dare to turn inward to discover our, our resplendent, our radiant goddess dimension, a portal to everlasting happiness, power, abundance, and wisdom within. Sometimes, because English is my second language, I know the meaning and I write it, but I can't always pronounce it. I think you did great. Yeah. And I, I would like to live in that world that you just Yeah. Yeah, thank you. You're the first woman who said that because I haven't been reading much because the book is, I have not been reading the epilogue, so to say, but 
So yeah, many blessings to you. Oh, thank you. What you're pointing out is just the lack of balance, whether it's externally, how we treat each other, internally, how we treat ourselves. Yeah, thank you. I think that's 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 you you hit it on the nail that there is a lack of balance. And 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 then what I attempt what I strive to do through this book was then give the knowledge that will help each one of us recover that balance in our individual lives. Because if this movement does not begin at the individual level and we just keep holding up the placards collectively and we keep pointing out what's not okay, but if we don't step into what's okay as like, we don't step into our own divine immensity at some point, Mm. I think we're just going to keep, keep pointing out to the glass half empty, but we need to now look at what is full and what's awesome for us. And what is that goddess power lying within us? And how can we just live it as wives and moms and neighbors and PTA moms and, you know, just, just, just regular people. Can we just come into our power? Absolutely. I think that's what we're all craving, really. Yeah. I mean, every human yeah. being is craving that. What you're talking about is authenticity. And, and, and in that is freedom. It's like a total, this is who I am. Yeah. Yeah. We're apologetic about it. Yeah. And somebody even pointed out to me, uh, my social media team was um, using the word unapologetic. And somebody even said, hey, don't put the word unapologetic next to next to your teachings because it gives women all this permission to be like badass. And and I and I had fun like responding to that. It's it's too long. It's too long that word apology has entered our DNA. I I agree that we don't want to be insensitive, but there really has to be a no apology about our beingness. That word has to now connect with us for a few centuries till we forget to be apologetic. Mm. And another really important point I think you're also bringing up is, and this this came up for me, I've been a shamanic practitioner for quite a few years. Oh, One of my shamanic adventures took me to meet the spirit of the earth. Oh. We were supposed to ask what she needed. And what she told me was that she said, I'm going to be fine. Don't worry about me. She says, my, my human children need to heal themselves. Oh, wow. <laughs> because wow. If, if you have a relationship with yourself, then you're going to have a, a different kind of relationship with me is, was the point. Oh, see, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was saying like, so the placards, the, the posters that you all are holding up in my name, that won't really matter as much if you're not if you're not coming from this place of being healed, of being in balance, because you're just going to be operating differently. If you're in that really authentic, healed place, then the way you interact with others in the world around you, the natural world, your community is going to just be different. Does that make any sense? Totally. And, And how poignant that Mother Earth would tell you that. And I think, again, she's telling us to bring balance and wholeness and one way to do it is by coming into balance and wholeness with our own power and and now probably roar like a goddess and even this podcast we're all just 
parts of another conversation we must have like okay so our power got taken away but is it gone or do we still have it great question is it a lim- yeah like is it a limited amount and it's been taken away from us forever <laughs> or or is it infinite and dwelling within us and we can now lead more empowered lives and then what does that look like yeah like it's a gas tank <laughs> yeah <laughs> So every morning I get up and I think well if I'm a powerful modern day goddess then what's my day going to look like you know and that's a nicer conversation to have than than the other disempowered Oh should I have to do the laundry yeah <laughs> Yeah yeah and can I do the laundry like a modern day goddess would mm-hmm. you know from a place of well whose laundry am I doing am I doing it with the right attitude am i doing it because now i'm in a script and i'm going to complain and i'll still do it anyway yeah for the right reasons am i doing it yeah, for the right reasons right reason. or is it because i'm supposed to yeah like for example i'll tell you for a while there i was supposed to be cooking uh-huh although my husband's a chef and he cooks a lot but i didn't like that the part where i was just like as a woman and as a mom and as a caregiver expected to cook Mm. And so I looked at that part and I realized I had some resentment around it. Yeah, right. So I had a conversation with my partner and I said, "I think I have taken an avatar to write books and teach probably. And probably I got married to you so you could cook for me. But I understand that I understand that it should not all fall to you. So that's dharma where I want to be ethical and fair. Like, okay, so how can we make this so that how can we both come into the kitchen from our best place rather than resentment towards each other and we really had those difficult conversations in a pleasant empowered way to the point that my house has three fresh cooked meals a day either he's cooking or I am or we're both not cooking and just drinking a cup of milk or going out because we're coming from this empowered place rather than pressure on each other or ourselves it's just a, it's a celebration of who we are rather than a imposition of you got to do this this must happen and 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 you're a woman so if your husband's not doing it then you must do it i i didn't choose to be part of that conversation well what a novel idea though to actually communicate yeah yeah <laughs> that's one of the things where i think we get tripped up too is that i can speak on behalf of myself or the people I've worked with in particular women is that there's this this wish for our minds to be read so that we don't have to say the words out loud and then maybe the resentment that comes from our like why can't my partner or my friend or whatever my family member not read my mind it's so obvious it should be so blatantly obvious that it's not fair this situation that I shouldn't have to xyz do all the cooking or the cleaning or whatever. Yeah, that's why I think my book talks a lot about communication, especially the Lakshmi chapter where she she's about prosperity, but the prosperity flows when you have a cardinal value in place which is called self-value. Mhm. Self-value is the doorway to all kinds of prosperity and abundance. And a uh, part of that self-value is not just valuing yourself by giving yourself a spa day or a you know a long soaking bath which is fine but valuing yourself all the way 
to like take those long walks alone and think, well, what the hell are you born for on this planet? Mm. What's your core vibration? And my core vibration was not some of the things that women do worldwide. So I have an option to be guilty about it or say, well, that's kind of not something I go to. I can do it. I won't leave my child or my dog starving. You know, I'm going to feed myself and my family. But I'm going to be unapologetic about saying, I was not born to be in the kitchen thinking, I got to go grocery shopping, got to do this. And, and somehow the systems in my life worked out once I valued myself. And now I have people's support and a beautiful husband who, who prides in, you know, supporting me in who I am. And it really took me to underline my own value. And I remember, and I'm going to share this funny episode. Like, I think I was all of 12 or 13. It was summer holidays and all the girls in my neighborhood joined this fun school where girls were learning um, some embroidery or something like something fun, like we were embroidering flowers or things. It was a five-week course only, like a kind of a cross-stitch and things. And I was there for all of an hour, and I knew that I have done something cardinally against my soul. And I'm not, you know, and I'm all for supporting people who do this, but my soul, even back then at 12 years old, knew I can't spend five weeks doing what doesn't sit right with me. I must be such a roaring goddess. So I wanted to leave. And the the teacher said, well, it's raining and you got to sit out the hour. So I crept out of the window and ran home, Wendy. Oh, did you? (laughs) In the rain. Because I was not going to do the cross stitch. That didn't feel right to me. So that woman has written the book. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a cool story to wind down on. I like that. And I wish we'd had more time to talk about I really enjoyed the the chapters on Lakshmi. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much rich material there around changing your perspective on what is prosperity and wealth. It's not just about money. And so I'll leave that as a teaser for listeners to uh, buy your book and really dive into what these three goddesses have to offer us. Thank you so much. And um, those chapters are my favorite too, because it really leads women into true abundance. Absolutely. And so how do people contact you or find out more about your book or your books, I should say? My books are all available everywhere you hang to buy books. And Roar Like a Goddess, Sovereign Self, Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom. These are my three books and more are coming. And my website is my name, acharyashunya.com. And you can also go to awakenedself.com. Both of these are my websites and you will find my retreats, my teachings, my classes, my books in both these websites. Beautiful. Well, Sunya, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. It was a really fun conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Are you all fired up now? Are you ready to take life by the cojones? Well, then it might be time to check out Shunya's book, Roar Like a Goddess. You can learn more about Shunya and her books at acharyashunya.com or awakenself.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Lucid Cafe, please consider sharing it with a friend who might need a little boost. Well, that does it for this episode. Have an incredible day. Until next time.